Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Desire. <laughs> Dude, how long have you been waiting to say that? I just thought of it just now. <laughs> oh my goodness. The first time Nathan ever said that to me, I nearly fell out of my chair. I'm thinking like, like the last thing I need would be for Nathan to say this to anybody else or for anybody else to hear this. And I made the mistake of telling you. <laughs> that, was, that was a pretty big faux pas. What was I thinking? Oh, my gracious. All right. Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And with my friend, Pepper Sweeney, the most beautiful man in the world. <laughs> Where we discover and explore what it means to be truly known. And, right, right uh, on. Like, yes. Like what's happening right here, exactly. right here, right now, folks. Exactly. <laughs> so in this season three of the Being Known podcast, we are uh, going through... Kurt Thompson's new book, The Soul of Desire, Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community. We are today beginning chapter three in the book, which is going to be on beauty and becoming what we create, which would make me a 15-foot um, aluminum 1957 <laughs> Crestliner boat right now because um, I guess the beauty that I'm trying to create is to restore this this thing that uh, for years sat underneath this cabin that someone had given it to my dad and he was going to, he was going to do this thing for 30, 40 years. He was, you know, this was going to be a project he was going to do. And my brother-in-law and I hauled it out from under there and um, took it out to his farm. And we've been spending some spare time trying to bring it back to life. It's going to be a long, a long process, but um, mm. you know, mm. we're, we're mm. first, sanding off the, um, the paint that was on there mm -hmm. to begin mm -hmm. with. And, and mm -hmm. that's a, that's a tedious and, and tough job. And, um, but the, it's a, it's a very cool old boat in that it's a, um, a dual hall and it'll, it'll have a, it'll have, we'll have a little windshield for it and steering wheel yeah. and, and that yeah. whole thing. And, and, um, and it's just a, it's just a really for me going out there and, and being able to work on it and, knowing, you know, where I want it to go and, and looking at images of, of what this could mm -hmm. possibly be mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. has been a great exercise for me. And it's been, it's well, you been know, a lot of fun. I, I don't know if we'll, at some point, we'll be able to do this, but I would love, you, you know, you sent me a picture of this, of the work that you were doing. Yeah. On the, on the boat right, turned upside right. down and you're, you're doing the sanding work. Right. And I'd love for the rest of us here to have a chance to see that because I think I, I, I love this story. Um, it's not just any old boat. It's the boat that, you know, that has connection to your dad. And in so many respects, like your vision for what it can become. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, sitting with what it is, is not unlike the thing that we're talking about today. I mean, like it's, it, it is such a powerful metaphor mm -hmm. and exact expression of this notion that uh, part of what God is doing in the new creation is not just calling us to, you know, we have this longing as we've been talking about to create, to see and to notice and to create beauty in our world without our yet quite being conscious of the fact that what God is doing at the same time is, I mean, he's working, 
he's working on us who are the crustliners. Hmm. And he's saying, while you do your work of new creation through me, I'm doing my work of new creation in you so that what you're producing, whatever you're producing, is always going to be a reflection of what I'm producing in you, that you're becoming the very beauty that you're longing to create. And so I would, I would love at some point, uh, if we can get it up here on our, you know, on our film footage to find, you know, find a way, maybe we could at some point, uh, you know, offer, offer that photograph. And, um, that's just a, that's just a beautiful story. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about this notion about beauty, I'm, I'm uh, reminded we, we, we begin with this, you know, where we often begin here in our conversations when we begin at the beginning, so to speak, this notion of what happens in Genesis chapter one. And when we read the text, we see that right out of the gate, there's the acknowledgement that the world was chaotic. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And, uh, you know, I, I think about so much of my life that has, that, that can be punctuated by moments of that chaos. Uh, I'd, I'd like to believe that the world is one in which uh, order is the order of the day. And yet, you know, we, if, if you, you know, have enough ninth or 10th grade, you know, science courses underneath your belt and you read about thermodynamics and you read about this notion of entropy or that you walk into your teenager's bedroom and you say like, here's physics on display in my, in my, teen, in my son's bedroom. That if I'm not actively putting energy into the system, whatever the system is, whether it's my body, whether it's my, my work as a physician, as a producer, and as an actor, if, if it's as a, as, as a homemaker, as a, like whatever these things are that I'm doing, if I'm not putting energy into this, chaos reigns. And we see that it's an expression of what it's like to be in the world, that the world, um, when left alone, in many respects, in the beginning was chaotic and God steps in and God begins to create. And he's, he's not just a creator, he's an artist. He's working to create these things. And we see in the larger text that he doesn't just do this randomly. He doesn't just say, let the world be the world. He doesn't just say, there is this, this order of things like they didn't, the, the, the Hebrews, when they were coming up with these, these stories, when they were, you know, writing these down and telling these to each other over the years, they didn't, they could have just said, God made the world and here it is. But we see this sense of beauty, first of all, in the sense that there's a, there's an order that the spirit of God sweeps over the deep, what the NRSV says, it sweeps over the deep. And I think about all of us who are listening and we think about the parts of our lives that feel deep where chaos is reigning and we're longing for the spirit to sweep over it. We think about our marriages, we think about our work lives, we think about COVID, we think about our kids' lives, we think about our friends, we think about losing friends, not just to COVID, but to cancer and all the things. And there's a lot of places of depth that I'm longing for the spirit of God to sweep and to bring order out of chaos. But then when we read further, we see that God is not just an artist randomly. He's not just throwing paint anywhere that it happens to be, but there's day one and there's light and darkness and there's day two and there is the water above and the water below. And 
day three and the air birds and the water fish and then the lights of the day and the lights of the evening and so forth. And we we start to see a couple of things. We see, first of all, that there is this rhythm of interlocking play between two things, light and darkness, air, water above, water below, birds of the air, fish of the sea, the lights of the night, the lights of the day, this sense that looks an awful lot like these complementary parts, different but complementary to each other. And God is bringing these things together. And not only that, but each of the days has this interlocking complementarianism with all the other days. Like we have all these days that are now interlocking with each other in this grand kind of puzzle, if you will, that's being put together, an interlocking puzzle of smaller interlocking parts that in some respects feels a lot like integration. This integration that we talked about last season, this notion that we are differentiated and we are linked persons. And, you know, what's so striking to me about this is that it's it's like they're these interlocking parts, like it's not like they all have clear boundaries, right? Like the daytime and the nighttime, like one bleeds into the other, but it's not like, well, we turn the light switch on and off. It's more like a dimmer switch. And like males and females, we have lots and lots and lots of things that are in common. Where we are different, we're extraordinarily different, but we have lots of things in common. And so the differences are not so stark, but we're different enough that, and I'm, I'm, I'm similar enough that I'd like to think that you should be exactly like me. But when the differences show up, I'm like, oh, no, as it turns out, we're really not. And we serve very different purposes. And it's really interesting because this isn't all that different from what a newborn experiences. A newborn comes into the world into what for them feels pretty chaotic. I was fine. And then I came into the world into harsh light, into cold air. Now I know that I'm wet. And now I know that I'm hungry. I know that I'm uncomfortable. I mean, I'm, things are chaotic. And immediately, caretakers who receive this little girl or this little boy into the world are now sweeping over its deep. And we are bringing order out of chaos. We clean them up. We wrap them up. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a picture yesterday of my mom, uh, who um, is a great-grandmother now. And for oh the gosh. second time, my mom will be uh, 90 next month, and she she won't be mad at me for saying that. It's not something that she tries to hide <laughs> anymore. Um, and anyway, so I have a picture of her that I got yesterday of her. She just had uh, my niece just had her or my nephew and his wife just had their second child um, mm. maybe last week. And there's my mother holding this little baby. And it's a gorgeous, just a gorgeous picture. But the one thing that, one of the things that stood out to me after I looked at it for a while is just how tightly that little baby is swaddled, right? Mm. And how, mm. you know, because of the chaos of the world and that mm. out, you know, when they're in the womb, they're, they're so bundled up and safe and then you come right. out. And, right. and so they've, they've swaddled this baby so that, so that the baby then feels some of the chaos diminishing, right? Right. Yeah. Dude, what a powerful picture you've just painted. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's such a, that whole sense of like, you know, one, one of the things that we 
often recommend in therapy, you may, you, and not just for therapy, but you may be familiar with like weighted blankets. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever like yeah. lain under, oh, like <laughs> I get under a weighted blanket and not only can I actually not get up from underneath it because I just, it's hard to move the thing, but I don't want to. Right. Right. I just want to just lay there. Yep. Yeah. And allow it to hold me. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, um, <laughs> we're really good at like offering things that appear to be hugs in our culture. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, it, it, it's a beautiful thing to do this with you. But when I do this with you, I, I only know how much I long to be in the room with you. Hmm. And to be in an embrace with you that wouldn't last for just one second, wouldn't last for the cursory, you know, polite gesture that's just, you know, a little more than a handshake. Um, And I know in our culture, the whole notion of physical intimacy is now uh, in a real kind of difficult state because because there's been so much trauma and there's been so much misuse of physical intimacy in so many different ways that in, and, and in unspeakable ways. But it doesn't deny the fact that when we are held, in fact, you know, if, if you all have ever been held by someone uh, in a way that is comfortable, that in a way that is not intrusive, in a way that is not consumptive, but in a way that is genuine, just like that newborn is being swaddled, hmm. You know, I'll, I, I remember I was in a, uh, I was at a retreat uh, that I was, had been invited to help with a number of other people help facilitate this retreat in the course of the retreat. You know, I'd kind of had some of my own, um, <laughs> some of my own stuff revealed and, 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 and in the course of that time had asked for some prayer with some of these guys. And uh, one of these guys, uh, my, my, my friend, Michael Cusick, you know, um, I'll never forget uh, I'm in the middle of being very much like a mess, being very much feeling like this infant. And I remember that he embraced me and I'm like, okay. And I'm, and like, you know, I'm a, pre- I'm pretty good at this. Like, I don't like, I, I hug people and they're like, okay, I think we're done now. Kurt, after one, 1,000 to 1,000, I'm like, I'm still like holding you. And you're like, and you know, when, when, when you're doing this, you're, when you're doing this genuinely, you know, you, 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 people are caught by surprise and they, and then they're like, and they just don't want to let go. You know, it's like, I, I'm not sure, but, oh, yes, I love, I think that's a good idea. No, I'm not sure, yeah, oh, yes, let's just, well, because we so, we are so infrequently held. And I mean, Michael Cusick held me probably for 90 seconds. And he wouldn't let go. And I'm thinking, my own father's never held me like that, that long hmm. when he was alive. And that's not to blame my dad, but I mean, like, to be held in such a way that the very core of my body, that my right brain was sensing and imaging and feeling things, that whole sense of seeing, soothe, safe, secure was being transmitted to the core of my brainstem. And it all begins with being swaddled <laughs> out of the chaos, right? Out of this out of this chaos in which we're communicating to this infant that we see you, we're here to soothe you so that you can be safe. We want you to know that like we are with you. And this is the first indication that this is really true. And this is what God was doing in the world. Hmm. 
that God himself is an artist and that beauty is emerging by first creating a context in which we can actually do the artwork. Right? You can't, you know, you can't paint Mona Lisa in a hurricane. It'd be tough to do that. Right. You know, you'd be even, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be tough for you to work on your boat in a snowstorm, right? Right. In Northern Kentucky. God is creating space of safety for the world in the way that that newborn in your family is being given safety by being swaddled. And, and we would say then that you're preparing it for the integration process that is about to take place for it in the same way that God was doing it, these interlocking parts of each day and each day's interlocking with all the other six days. And, you know, one of the first things that we want to say is that, you know, we've said earlier that beauty can easily be identified in places where it's easy to identify it. You walk into a museum and you expect to see it because it's all been arranged. But as we will talk about even more so later in greater detail, you don't expect necessarily, you don't anticipate beauty to emerge out of something that is chaotic. Most people who would walk by, if they were to walk walk by, you know, was it your brother-in-law who where the where your boat is? Yeah. If they were to just like drive by or walk by, they just see the boat. They just see like, man, that's just a piece of junk sitting yeah. up there. Whatever that. I, that's like <laughs> I got words to come to my mind to describe like like that that that, that kind of thing. and like because that's not what they think. But if they were to happen upon this with you or you and your brother-in-law working on it, they're like, oh, hey, what's going on here? Right. It's because you see something in the very space where beauty does not immediately jump off the page. The spirit of the Lord sees the world as chaotic and sees beauty on the backside of what it's doing. And so from the beginning, we are getting a hint of Easter. (laughs) There was no more chaotic a day in the world's history than Good Friday. And yet evil didn't see coming what God saw coming three days later. And that infant comes into the world in your family. And by the time it gets out, it doesn't see anything but the chaos. And I I imagine all of us who are listening, we think about the number of different places and ways in which when we imagine the chaos in our lives, beauty is not what we imagine. We don't imagine that we are going to become beauty in the course of this. But it's an example, too, Pepper, of how we like to say that there's no greater form of the creation of beauty, not only that we are making, but that we become when we then repair ruptures. Because so many of our ruptures, the chaos that God first saw, now, like, I become an agent of that chaos, unfortunately. You know, I'd like to believe that my life would be this interlocking group of interlocking sections of things and integration is taking place. There's differentiation and there's linkage. And I'm not just being able to create with the people that I love, my wife, my kids, my friends, but also that I can do with my enemies. And like, that's not me. I am like a rupture waiting to happen every single day. Dr. Desire, Mr. (laughs) Rupture. That's what we can call me, Right. Right. This is my, my form of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Desire, Mr. Rupture. Oh, gosh. And I know that, uh, 
I know we were talking earlier that just this whole notion of how beauty emerges in the course of repairing ruptures. And I know that you yeah. had a story that you were Yeah, to tell. so, so um, I don't know how many of you, you all that are uh, listening, I don't know how many of you are watching the, the series Ted Lasso. Um, I can't say enough about this this show. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone if they haven't been watching it. Um, but I was watching just last night and there was a scene that I actually stopped after it was over and I went back to watch it again because I thought it was so beautiful. And I think it's an example of this as uh, repairing ruptures, uh, the beauty of repairing ruptures. So without giving away too much, there's a there are a couple of characters. The main character in the show is a soccer coach in Europe, and he was hired by a woman that owns the 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 soccer field or the soccer team. But the reason why she hired him, he was an American football coach, but the reason why she hired him to, to coach soccer was because she got this team in a, in a divorce with her husband, and it's his passion, this team, and she just wants to destroy it basically. So unbeknownst to him, Ted Lasso goes to England to coach this team and he's being, he's being put in this position to fail and he doesn't know this. And he is nothing but a complete gem to everybody around him. Um, there's lessons of vulnerability, of curiosity, of belonging, of all these things in every episode. It's gorgeous. You, you should watch it. So, so she has been sabotaging him every step of the way, trying to see to it that he fails, trading away his best players, trying to get the paparazzi to get bad pictures of him, all these different things. And he doesn't know it. And he considers her a good friend. And she's kind of trapped into having to come clean to him. So she goes to his office and he's sitting behind the desk and, um, and she confesses all these terrible things mm. that she's done. Mm. And mm. she says, I... You know, and, and she says, I've done all these things to get back at my ex-husband and, mm. you know, I've sabotaged you every step of the way and you don't deserve this. And if you want to quit and go to the press and tell them what, what I did, I'm good with that. And he, he takes a minute and he, you don't know what he's going to do. And he's got this look on mm. his face. You know, it hurts, right? He just found yeah. out that somebody he cares about has been hurting him. And mm. um, he gets up. And he walks over to her and he says, I forgive you. Hmm. And she, she gets this look on her face and she's like, what? What? Hmm. Hmm. And hmm. he says, going through a divorce is hard. Hmm. And it causes you to do crazy things. And I forgive you. And he puts his hand out hmm. to shake her hand. And she brushes that away and pulls him into this embrace hmm. Not unlike mm. the the embraces that you were talking mm. about just before, mm. where mm. it was just this mm. deep, long embrace, and she's a mess, you know. And the shot mm. now is from mm. from behind him, seeing her face, and she's just just losing it because she's never mm. experienced this kind of. Mm. And it's so beautiful, and mm. it's mm. it's so painful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, we could just. Stop our episode right there. I think I think we're done now. Right? Need we say more? It's a it's a powerful example of not just a scene, but a powerful example of what we see each of them becoming. Hmm. Like even her 
receptivity to his grace, receptivity to his forgiveness. I mean, I haven't seen the show, but, you know, I, I can imagine the transformation that comes over, like first the startle. Right. And, and again, kind of like the newborn that is suddenly thrust into the real world in with all of its harshness and chaos, she finds herself, you know, at the mercy of the world, right? And what does she find? But she finds kind of like in, in Ted, a, a bit of a midwife who's welcoming her mm-hmm. and saying, I forgive you and we're going to wrap you up. We're going to swaddle you. We're going to make sure that you know that you're not alone, that you're held tightly, that you're held securely, that you're seen, soothed, safe, secure. That's just such, that's such a gorgeous story. And, you know, it's, it, it, it takes us even further into this notion that when we, another way of, of another thing that the Genesis account tells us in Genesis chapter one about what's happening with about every new rendition of creativity, we read in the text that God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And we rightly read those texts in acknowledging that what we're reading, you know, the writer is telling us that God, you know, named something, he, he gave purpose to something, he gave, you know, beauty to something, and then he saw it and just noticed, oh, that's, that's really a good thing. But, you know, in reading Paul Borgman's treatise on Genesis as literature, uh, you come to recognize that the writer of Genesis, these the, the, the oral traditions and the writers of this of this account are brilliant in their writing because in the Hebrew, the whole notion that this writer is getting at, he's not just, the writer is not just getting at this notion that God made something, looked at it and said, oh, that's really good, which is, which is part of what's going on, but it's not the only thing that's going on. The other thing that is going on, the other two things that are going on, number one, is that the Hebrew word for good can easily be translated either way as the word for good or the word for beautiful. Wow. And God then just doesn't see the light and the darkness as good. It's like a good thing, but it's beautiful. God sees what he's made as beautiful. And this is also then we, we jump into the New Testament when, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He could easily be saying, I am the beautiful shepherd. He could easily be saying that I am so much that is good. Every tree that does not bear beautiful fruit, right? It's not beautiful for the man to be alone in Genesis chapter two. It's not beautiful. That God just doesn't think of us as people who are good. He thinks of us as people of beauty. And this is not a word that we usually have in our minds about who we are becoming. Once again, when's the last time that anyone ever approached us and said, gosh, I see you and beauty is just coming out all over the place because it makes us so nervous in the same way that an embrace makes us nervous because of all the trauma and shame that's built around it. But it doesn't stop the reality that God sees that we aren't just good, but we're good because we're beautiful. And then there's the other element of this, that this, this writer isn't just saying that God is looking at an object, something that he's made and sees it either as, sees it as good and as beautiful. But the writer is saying that the beauty and the goodness that is emerging is happening because and as God is looking at it. 
It is the looking at it that the beauty emerges. God's look is the very thing that is drawing beauty forth. And so you talk about Ted Lasso, this sense that her beauty that is emerging in her receiving his forgiveness is happening because Ted is doing it. It is his looking upon her. It is his speaking to her. It is his saying, you're beautiful. Hmm. Even in your, even in your chaos, even in your intention to undermine and devour me, I'm saying to you, beauty is what I see. And it undoes her. And of course, I would have my own set of defenses when Jesus would come to me and say this. Well, beauty is all I see. I'm like, you got to get a pair of glasses, man. Like, like something's not right with your, you know, with your vision. And so we sense and see here that beauty isn't just something that exists on its own, but it is a direct function of and a result of someone looking at us. And so, you know, we, you know, we live in a world in which, we, you know, we worry that we're not beautiful enough course, right? Yeah. And so we're all doing everything except, you know, you don't have to do that because you don't have that to worry about. <laughs> but I mean, like we're all okay. I like, dude, like until you and I are dead, uh, until we're dead. Listen, like, Dr. Desire. This, I want to get, I want to get so, I want to get so much mileage out of this. <sighs> okay. But we are so hell bent on like I, like I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be 59 in a month and I'm still like worrying, like, am I going to be in shape? Am I going to be like physically fit? Like, and I worry about the fact that my body is failing me, but I'm responsible. Like I have to do the work of making fitness and beauty. Like I have like, and we read in the text right out of the gate that that's not how beauty emerges. <sighs> beauty emerges because somebody else is doing the looking upon us and saying, beauty is what I see. Our job is not that we have to work so hard to become it. Our job is to receive other people seeing it in us in the first place, not least in the repairs of the ruptures that we experience and can enact in our lives. It's just not really very easy for me to receive that. Uh, I have this story, you know, I, I, uh, Phyllis, my wife and I, we've been married for nearly 35 years and, you know, I, uh, I, I would say two things. Anything that's good about my life has at least the fingerprints of my parents on it. And I would say further that anything that's good about my life, there's nothing good about my life now that does not also have the fingerprints of my wife on it. Hmm. And, uh, but I don't always live as if I believe that she really loves me in the way that she claims that she does. And I remember, uh, this is probably three or four months ago. We, you know, we had one of those moments in our house that we occasionally have in which I had, uh, uh, you know, in, in marriage, you discover that there are just certain things that, you know, you discover early in your marriage, oh, this is a thing that bugs me about, you know, him or her or whatever. And you think, oh, but we'll work on this and we'll work it out. And like, you know, 35 years later, I'm still repeating the same thing. There are just certain things that like I can say, well, Phyllis, I'm really sorry, but this is going to be what you're going to live with for the next 50 years. I wish that were different. 
And so one of those moments came and I, you know, I, I, I did something that was really hard, legitimately for her. And when those moments happen, it's not just that when I, when I hurt her feelings or I do, I do something that's unhelpful, it's not just that it happens. It's that I become overwhelmed with my shame about the fact that it still happens. Hmm. And so I remember um, we, we, had this, we had this rupture and we, you know, we tried to repair it. And she was leaving to go visit our daughter who lives in another state. And, um, the next day, like I remember this, this rupture happened on a Saturday. She left early the next morning on a Sunday. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't want to get out of bed. I just felt so bad about, about this later that afternoon, you know, she and my daughter get on FaceTime. They, they FaceTime me. And I'm like, I don't know why she's calling me because the whole morning I just been spent like, why would she want to be with me? Like, this is like three months ago. And, uh, I get on the FaceTime call and she's like, Hey, we just wanted to see how you're doing. And I'm like, why is she being so nice to me in my, in my head? And uh, so I told her, I, I said, gosh, I'm really kind of surprised that you're calling. And she said, why? And I told her why. And of course, my, my, my daughter is like hearing. And, I, and she said later, we, we talked about this later. And she said, you know, if you were to have, if we were to have a microscope and you look at the microscopic field at the circle that you see under a microscope, and if you were to look at this part of our marriage, this part of our marriage would occupy a very, very, very small dot on the outer rim of the circumference of the microscopic field. If I look at the rest of the marriage, like the rest of the marriage is so beautiful. Like, yeah, there, this is a thing. And then we worked and I, I know it, but like it's out here on the rim and it's a small dot that's on the rim. But she said, it's as if when this happens, you take the slide and you move the slide directly under the center where that small dot is on the circumference, you move that directly under the center of the, micro, of, of the lens and you drop the lens onto that dot until the dot fills right. the microscopic field. And that's all you see. And I'm like, well, that's because all there is. That's all there is. And she's like, uh, I, think, I think you might want to work on this because that's not what I see. I see so much beauty in our marriage that when this happens, you don't see. And so there is this sense that if she doesn't come to find me, even in the wake of me being the perpetrator of this rupture, if she doesn't come to find me, there's going to be a problem. Right. And so I, I just want to just affirm this example that you're describing, Pepper, about Ted Lasso and how so much beauty emerges out of chaos when we are repairing ruptures, which we will get to eventually. And, you know, we then, th this notion then that, that beauty emerges as a function of our being seen by somebody else. It doesn't just exist on its own. And we move then quickly to Genesis chapter two, and we see some other ways in which beauty emerges as functions of hard things. This sense that first of all, God has to get down in the mud, right? It's not good for man to be alone God first forms man out of the dust of the earth. It's an intimate beauty is an intimately charged thing. Michelangelo has to get intimately connected to the marble, the paint. Like I think about the productions that you do. I, I like talk about immersed all the production work that you do for all these, these different artists and the, and the, and the different uh, folks that are, you know, that you're producing work for. I just think like you talk about being chest deep in the chaos, chest deep in the mud in order to bring forth 
beauty. And then you get to later in that same chapter where he says it's not good for the man to be alone. And what does he do? This is the other thing, too, that beauty is often costly. Right. Right? Like, why doesn't, why doesn't God just form somebody else out of the mud and bring that person to Adam and say, here's your, here's your other? No. Adam falls asleep, and then God performs surgery. And if anybody, if you all have listened to it, if you all had surgery, like, like it's, not a, it's not a picnic. You think, like, if I'm going to see beauty like this emerge, like, why do I have to have a six-inch gash in my flank? And again, we hear the echoes of what we read about in John 19, that his side was pierced. That it's in the piercing of his side that water and blood flows and out of it comes life. And what do we have with Adam in the wake of his surgical procedure? That, by the way, he didn't ask for, he didn't agree to, there was no signed, like, consent form. God didn't ask, like, so let me, let me just run by you what, you know, what we're going to do here. Get your consent signed. Like, no. He just gets like really sleepy. He gives him some really great wine and then suddenly like he's out. The next thing you know, he wakes up six hours later and there's a gaping wound that has to be healed. God seals it up, this this painful wound. And what emerges? God brings the woman to him. And here's the other thing too. Who knows how long? My friend, Kristen Terry, who we spoke about in the last series when we advertised, when we we promoted her her artistic work in the connection blocks, she said, she, she made this beautiful observation. Who knows how long God and the woman have spent together before he brings her to Adam? Hmm. Maybe getting her ready for this, to do the work of what it means to be the object of beauty, to be the one who, when Adam now sees her, he acknowledges this beauty. And what poetry and song is what he bursts forth with. Right. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He can't do anything but sing and be poetic. And one wonders, gosh, I wonder what it was like for Eve to hear those words. I wonder what it would be like for us to have anyone speak those words over us. Poetry and song, beauty in the making. And we see then that the man and the woman were naked and unashamed, this notion that they together are their commissioned and commissioned by God to take the next step of the creation of and becoming of beauty, both sexually and soulfully without shame, this vulnerability that comes when we are naked, this sense that we are also going to never be without the cover of another. We think about Mary and Joseph when Joseph had to cover Mary her shame of being pregnant without being married. This notion of Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus' body is naked and beaten and dead. And Joseph goes and asks Pilate for the body. and said, I'm going to cover it. And he wraps it and puts it in his own grave. Even then, Jesus' body is being cared for by somebody else who's coming to find him. This notion that we're differentiated, that we are vulnerable, that we need others to cover us while they are also seeing our beauty come forth such that together in our differentiated and linked selves, we in the world also bear the image of our God who creates in the way that we've been talking about that's recorded in this beautiful narrative in Genesis chapter one and two. And it's so 
great to talk about the way that God talks about beauty and creates beauty and calls it forth and sees it as good and beautiful at the same time, while knowing full well that it's just a short jump to chapter 3 in Genesis where all hell breaks loose. We'll get there soon enough, but I'm just so, I just want to say I'm just so grateful for you, Pepper. Like I think about this podcast even as um, coming out of this space of differentiation and linkage. Amy, you, me. I won't go so far as to call it the Holy Trinity, but you know, <laughs> Please. One, is, one, is, one, is, one is tempted. <laughs> the temptation quickly passes yeah. me by, but I'm, but I'm tempted. And uh, I just, I'm just uh, so grateful for the opportunity to uh, be able to do this with you and such that even the thing that we're doing uh, in this production, hopefully, uh, at least I'm, I'm, I am watching beauty emerge even, th- there, there's no way that, of course, any of us could do by ourselves. Totally, totally agree. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's been a couple of weeks with other responsibilities for the three of us where we haven't been able to be together, and I feel it, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gotten so spoiled <laughs> by the rhythm of being together yeah. Once a week, and it is just a, it's, it's, I, I like to say it's an embarrassment of riches. It just mm. really mm. is. And, I, and, right and I'm, I feel like I'm learning so much from it. And then when I start to miss it and, mm. and you know, when, when our time between seeing one another gets longer, sometimes I start to forget a little bit, yeah. you know, what it is and what, yeah what I love about it so much and what it's, how it's impacting me. And I, and sometimes I forget to do some of the practices that I'm, that I've been putting in, you know, and so having the opportunity for me, and I hope our listeners feel the same way. I hope having the opportunity to come together in this podcast once a week is, is life-giving for me. And I'm, I'm grateful to you and to Amy for allowing me to be a part of it. Well, Right back at you, bro. Right back at you. Well, we have to end there or it's going to be a double episode and we can't let that happen. But there's so much more to talk about. I love this chapter of the book. I'm loving Mm. reading it. Um, I'm Mm. I'm stopping myself Mm. from reading ahead. I'm trying to just prepare for each... Each week as we as we mm. go in mm. and um, mm. and thank you for going through this with us. Mm. Yeah. Until next time, Pleasure. Kurt. Till next time, man. Love you. Love you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos. Each week, we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.